Welcome to the Pain Solutions Podcast. Dr. Wayne Fimister is a family physician with a special interest in chronic pain, whose passion is finding solutions for this epidemic problem facing one-third of the adult population. He is a clinical associate professor at the University of British Columbia in Canada and has developed one of the first online medical trigger point injection courses for doctors and nurse practitioners, a technique that is easily learned and implemented into the medical office of any doctor or nurse practitioner treating chronic pain. To get free access to Pain Solutions newsletter, blogs, and to register for his online course, simply register at www.waynefimister.com. On the podcast, Dr. Wayne brings together experts from various segments to share with you how they solve people's pain problems and how you can get this treatment too. And now, here's your host, Dr. Wayne Fimister. Well, hello and welcome to the podcast show today. My very special guest is Charlie Merrill. Now, Charlie is a full-time physiotherapist and he's a hardcore athlete, done many sports in his time, including triathlons. So thank you, Charlie, for joining me. Thank you for the nice introduction. I'm very excited to be here, Wayne. Excellent. Okay, so let's just go back in time here. Where did you grow up and where did you go to college? I grew up just north of Washington, D.C. in Maryland. Grew up kind of near the big city and moved to Boulder, Colorado for undergraduate in 1992. Spent my time here at University of Colorado and then went to Regis University to get my master's degree in physical therapy and have really been here ever since working in clinical practice mostly since then. Okay. So you dived into physiotherapy. So what was the real reasons for that? There were a number of reasons. I think if I go back, probably my back injury when I was 20 or so was the the big thing that drew me into this profession. I started out in sort of a pre-med major and could have gone anywhere with that. But because of my own athletics and having the experience of being injured as an athlete and then being exposed to some amazing manual therapists that were doing really cutting edge novel work, it really inspired me to combine my love of working with my hands and problem solving, critical thinking with my athletics and making that my career as opposed to going down more of a road of medicine. And it's been an amazing fit. I think without that mentorship, I I may have gone a different direction. Okay, so how long now have you been practicing as a physical therapist? Going up on 19 years. Again, mostly in sort of a smaller private practice manual therapy setting, sort of where I grew up, for lack of a better word. That's where I started and where I was most inspired. And I've pretty much uh, made that my, my career. So I'm sure there's been some changes in your journey as a physical therapist. So do you want to kind of share some of those? Yeah, I got to the point where I eventually started my own practice. And as I moved through a few, like maybe three different local, small, really high quality private practice settings, the insurance industry really started to change reimbursement in Colorado. And it became obvious that that model of being able to actually spend time with people and do good work was becoming harder and harder. and There was a point where I had a decision where I could either buy in to be a part owner of the clinic where I was working, where I'd inherited a staff and I'd continue to do the work I was doing, but have more of an administrative role, or I could start my own practice, create my own reality and continue working outside of the insurance system. And so I decided to go the second road 
create my own model. And um, you never really know if that was the right decision or not, I guess, at the end of the day. But it's been extremely rewarding. And um, it's brought me here talking with you today. I think I practice very differently today than I, than I used to and differently from how I would have practiced if I'd stayed on that more traditional road, for sure. Well, good for you. I'm intrigued by this Owen model. Can you just share a little bit about that? Yeah. When I left the insurance-based practice world where people are coming to see you using their insurance benefits, there are, by definition, some limitations with how many times you can see them, how much the insurance company will reimburse you for the work that you're doing, how long you get to spend with people, because the clinic at the end of the day needs to be profitable enough to pay you. And when I left that model, I realized I had to create a totally new product. It needed to have very little in common with where I was leaving. And that took a few forms. The obvious one is that I had more time to spend with people than the average therapist does. You know, I spend an hour with people, which sometimes even doesn't feel like enough time. I'm not constrained by what the insurance says I can and can't do. So I'm a little bit more open to be able to bring different techniques and different therapies into my practice. It's extremely rewarding being able to practice the way I feel like is the most appropriate for each individual case. I think people really feel that when they're in my office. And I just appreciate it from a personal satisfaction perspective. And then it's allowed me to go down this road of really diving deep into the psychosocial aspects of pain and what hangs people up, not only in the chronic phase of pain, but also more in the acute phase, trying to catch it when it's really early in the process, even with athletes. Okay, wonderful. So first of all, let's just look at the techniques. What different techniques are you providing for your clients? The manual therapy sort of quiver that I have includes everything from high-velocity manipulation to lower-grade joint mobilization. It can include trigger point needling. If you're familiar with that, it can include myofascial release, active release technique, corrective exercises where you're looking at helping people fix their movement faults, learn to move in a healthier way. You know, work on posture. I've done medical bike fitting in the past to help cyclists be on their bike in a more comfortable and more, more powerful position from a performance perspective. In the past, I've made orthotics. I consult a lot about shoes and shoe choice. I've done a lot of running gait analysis with people. So I've accumulated a lot of manual therapy techniques over time. And I would say that the way I approach a problem doesn't rely on one technique more than another. It tends to be a little bit more of a diverse skill set that I use to solve problems. Okay. So what would you say the percentage of focus of treatment? Say an acute patient comes in, a short-term injury, say an athlete, what percentage would you say is manual-based therapy? versus the psychosocial aspect of the injury? That's a great question. I really like to normalize the psychosocial piece. And I like to say that if, if you're a human being, that it affects your pain experience. So everybody gets a little bit of both. Where they fall on the continuum depends on a number of things. It sort of depends on what started their pain in the first place. It depends on where they are in terms of readiness to talk about, talk about those variables. And there are a number of other things that play into it. But I would say almost everyone I see, whether they're in the acute phase and they just got hurt or whether they're in the chronic phase, we're talking about that as part of their treatment. It's the mind and the body, right? It's hard to separate them at the end of the day. Excellent. Okay. Um, I'm just intrigued at 
if a patient comes in and say they're not doing too well emotionally, you know, obviously that aspect of their care needs to be dealt with. But what are kind of the long-term outcomes that you're seeing with patients who are struggling on an emotional, mental level? The long-term outcomes? Yeah. I um, tend to spend a lot of time, if someone comes in in that state, focusing on the emotional stuff they're dealing with. Sometimes that's all we'll do in a given hour if it feels like that's where they're headed. But I almost always try to get some manual therapy, hands-on treatment in during those sessions because I feel like the physical touch is very powerful for those people. So I'll tend to I'll tend to combine both in a given session most of the time. I find that the long-term outcomes are best when you can do both of them together, mm. when you can run those two processes mm. in parallel. Um, oftentimes, the results are really fast when you do that. So you'll get someone past a flare-up or past a, a more acute flare-up of a chronic problem if you can do them together. If the person has a lot of stuff you need to unpack, there's a point where I tend to refer those people out it feels like it's outside of my scope of practice and it feels like they need more of that and less of the manual therapy and less of the movement-based stuff, I don't tend to go too, too far down that road with people. And honestly, my patient population are not the hardest to treat chronic pain people. I wouldn't say that's my specialty area. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, I can relate to this. You know, As a family physician, I, I also treat with trigger points, injections with different gauge needles, and I find that the psychological aspect, you know, I also deal alongside. But if, if patients are over and above my skill set as a general practitioner, then I also would be referring out to, you know, mental health professionals, psychiatrists, pain psychologists, counselors, depending on that level. And, and it's certainly something I find that, you know, if they're very high in their assessment scales for anxiety, depression, then you're not going to get too far with the, the physical side of things. So I was just intrigued as a physical therapist, you know, you're coming in from a more of a physical therapy background than myself, than just that experience that you're finding on the job. I think we can take it pretty far as manual therapists though. There are a lot of people that come in that don't have a ton of maybe trauma history to unpack, you know, it's not so complicated and we can help move them past that with some simple strategies. And I think, the body piece has been really interesting because the people really like when you evaluate them and you, you help them understand that their body is actually okay. And you can, in combination with their physician, help them get to a place of acceptance that their body's actually okay. And that their nervous system and some of these other psychosocial factors are actually driving their pain experience. That's such a powerful first step for people. that I think in those cases, the long-term outcomes are actually quite good and then you can work with a pain psychologist or another specialist to help with some of the mental health problems if they're a problem. But I think because I don't work in that extreme sort of chronic pain setting, the outcomes are actually really good because we're catching things early, you know, we're catching them before they turn into chronic pain. Mm. I like to use the analogy of the big cleanup in the ocean of the plastic bottle pile that's like spinning around in the ocean currents you can either go out there and clean up the ocean you can stop the plastic from getting in the ocean in the first place and we kind of need to do both right but i kind of work in the let's prevent the plastic from going into the ocean 
in the first place. That's sort of my, my goal as a practitioner at this point. Help people learn about pain early. Yeah, I love that. You know, I think it's something that I became more aware of recently when I was at the Boston World Congress meeting in the States there. And uh, that was one of the talks was all about the fear and the, the cycle of fear and the conflict that goes along with it. So it's exactly what you're saying. And it, it's something that I think the large majority of patients are not really aware of. You know, it's a subconscious reality that they're functioning on and how this unconscious fear-driven thought processes stops them moving, essentially. And that just is a cycle for long-term pain, unfortunately. So it's wonderful to you know hear you talk about that and be sharing this on the show because I think for people listening in and they've maybe got some pain or you know in the future they may have some injuries you know after the acute several weeks of you know inflammation that needs to settle that they really need to be moving despite some pain but obviously with some professional guidance like a physiotherapist or another physical therapist so it's great to share. Just a question on the fear component. You know, you said assessment. Which assessments are you using? Do you have any tools that you literally use to to make, you know, you're assessing the patient to get an idea of how far down this path they are and therefore you go on thereafter and then deal with it. But So any assessment tools that you use? Most of my assessment tools are both subjective and objective. So there's a good amount of conversation back and forth that happens. That process is pretty emergent. I like to say it's not a linear process where I have a list of questions, but it's more of a conversation to get to know that person, why they ended up in my office and how their pain started and what they do for a living. You kind of get to know who they are. They have family. I really enjoy that part of the process. And then from there, we step into more of an objective process of physical tests, watching them move, looking at their soft tissue quality, tissue length, checking joint mobility, looking at neural, you know, nervous system sensitivity, and trying to make a laundry list of the things that seem sort of body-based. And then I try to correlate that with what I got during the subjective history to say, how much of this really seems like it's the body, it's a man, you know, something I need to fix using manual therapies, and how much of this seems like it's being caused by fear or catastrophization based on what I got in my subjective history. So I'm kind of using my physical exam, honestly, to try to rule things out a lot of times more than to rule things in because it just, it helps to bring down the fear when Mm. you can tell somebody that, Mm. Hey, I'm finding these things, but really your body's actually doing quite well. Mm. You you don't need to play up all the little objective findings. Mm. As you're working with them, it's over the process of this hour that you're talking to them, you get a good, feel, you know, you get uh, intuition tells you through your training and also intuition in the moment that this is where they are. And is it just that conveying of information to them that that takes away or deals with that fear component? Uh, Sometimes it feels that way. Sometimes it feels like the process of evaluating and I collect a lot of data in the course of my physical exam. I'm really looking at the body as a system when I evaluate. So if someone comes in with a foot problem, I'm not just looking at their foot. I'm taking the time to look at how they move as an athlete, how they squat, for instance, how they squat on two legs, how they squat on one leg, and you know what's their movement pattern. But I always look at the spine when I'm looking at someone's extremity problem. So if someone comes in with plantar fasciitis, I'll always look at and usually treat their spine, their lumbar spine. 
because the nerve roots that exit the lumbar spine are innervating the foot, giving power to the foot, muscle control, sensation. If I have someone that comes in with shoulder pain or elbow pain, say a rock climber that has lateral elbow pain, I'm always looking at their neck and their thoracic outlet, some of the stuff higher upstream. We talk about upstream and downstream. So it's extremely rare that I'll see someone with an extremity problem where I'm not looking at their spine, treating their spine. So anyway, I'm collecting a lot of data. And at the end of all that data collection, after my years of experience, I can tell people with pretty good certainty how much of their, their stuff is treatable versus do they need to go see a doctor? Do they need to go have some pictures taken? You know, do they need more workup? Or can we proceed? And if we proceed, how much of that can I help them with manual therapy? How much can they do themselves? And how much do we need to be talking about the psychosocial pieces mm. based mm. on that initial interview? So let's talk about the psychosocial pieces. What are the kind of things you would be talking to them about at that point? Well, I'll tell you, I would say 70 to 80% of the people that come in with acute injuries have no clear mechanism of injury. So we always think of acute injuries as some tissue damage. Like by definition, if it's acute, it must be tissue damage, right? And that's not really my experience in the clinic. If someone comes in and there's no obvious reason that their shoulder pain started, I start asking questions that look at those psychosocial factors. What was happening in your life at the time the pain started last week? Um, were there stressful events? Was there a lot of change? If there wasn't a physical trauma, what else might have been the trigger? So I try to cue into those triggers for why their pain started really early on. And depending on what comes up, and you never know what's going to come up, you might sit on that and you might come back to it after you examine and you can get a pretty, pretty good sense for how much is physical versus not. Then you might circle back to it and start having a conversation about pain and how it works. And from there, you go into helping them understand that maybe, you know, the fact that they got fired last week or they moved from one house to another or their kid was, you know, suspended from school might have been why their shoulder pain started or why their neck pain started or why their headaches suddenly got worse. And most people have never made that connection before in their life. They, they never thought of it before. And in some people that have had five episodes of back pain over the course of 10 years, they can map out psychosocial factors with every single flare-up they've had over the course of time. And so they're seeing me on flare-up number six on day three, and they're scared to death that they herniated their disc, when really they're just continuing this pattern of some psychosocial factor that flared up their back. And it really has nothing to do with their disc at all. You're cutting off that vessel of reinforcement, if I use Alan Gordon's term, really early in the process. And how do you find that the patients you know, take to that? It's maybe the first time they've ever heard of that, wow, that could be a connection. Like, how is that experience for you? I would say most people have great relief when I start talking about this. Most of my clients, I should say. And I'm working in the community, remember, that's, I don't know, maybe pretty open-minded to these ideas. But for most people, they're, they have an aha moment and they're kind of shocked, but they're very relieved by it. It's very rare that I get someone that reacts negatively 
to the idea. It makes sense, you know? People see that it makes sense. And I can talk about my physical exam and talk about why I feel so strongly that that's the case. And they, they, they have a letdown moment, you know? They really feel relieved to know that their body's okay. and There might be something else going on. It's wonderful. Wonderful, because I think that aha moment is probably the turning point in their pain history. You know, yeah, I've done that at least twice today with two different athletes, high-level athletes. Yeah. It's just amazing. Awesome. Yeah. Because this is the reality of the, the neuroscience that we're reading now, that it's all interconnected. You know, the mind and the body is a, is a unit, is a team. And if one is not working very well, then the other is going to be affected directly. And it can show with anything from headaches, migraines, all the way down to big toe pain. Yeah, I do, Wayne. I have the conversation a lot that even sometimes the physical stuff that I'm finding on exam is the result of the fear or the catastrophization or the sensitivity in the nervous system, the anxiety, whatever it is. It's the result of that rather than the cause of their pain. So I even kind of try to reframe the physical findings and my intention around why I'm treating them and that I'm trying to sort of undo some of the consequences of their fear, right? It's been a challenge to not play into the fact that the body's a problem because in a lot of pain psychology circles, it's a dualistic equation and you have to rule out the body before you can move on and start talking about the psychosocial piece. And so as a physiotherapist, as a manual therapist, I feel obligated to treat the body because I feel like it's a helpful way to tap into the nervous system. But my intention about why I'm doing that is really different in the way I explain it to people. You know, isn't that their quadratus lumborum in their back is what's causing their pain. That's a result of something else instead. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, so let's just change direction a little bit here. So what's the, the biggest challenge or the, the newest thing coming your way in your career right now? I think trying to reconcile the brilliant work of Lorimer Mosley and David Butler with the other group of brilliant clinicians and scientists, the Guret of Sarno, and some of his contemporaries like Howard Schubiner and Alan Gordon and Alan Abbas, where they're treating pain very much through the, the brain, through the mind, rather than through the body. And there's definitely convergence happening between those two lines of thought, but they're still quite different when you really get down to the core of how they're treating clients. So the biggest challenge is remembering that there's a mind and a body and that we can't just pick one or the other, that it, I think it's really helpful to do both. So I'm, my challenge is trying to synthesize these models in a way when I can help teach them to more body-oriented therapists. And that's what I'm wrestling with right now is I'm trying to write curriculum and trying to develop some type of um, an educational model that can bring these two things together in a way that makes sense. Okay, uh, different angle again. What is the best advice you've ever received? Well, when it comes to business, I think the best advice I received was to set up my business based on my needs and what works for me, like create my ideal scene instead of creating a business based on what the market needs, creating a business that really works for me Anything else will just leave you ineffective and unsatisfied. And that was such a countercultural piece of advice. And I just think that because I've set my business up the way I have, it's really helped my outcomes. It's helped my relationship with my clients. 
And it's helped my, my work satisfaction, my job satisfaction. I think the other thing that's been the most helpful more recently as a clinician is Howard Schubiner telling me to get out of my silo and get out of my box as a manual therapist and bring some other trains of thought into my work. You know, not get stuck in my, in my model and in my limitations as a manual therapist. It's been massively freeing and helpful to be able to explore some of these other strategies for getting people well. It's been a revolution in the last five years, like paradigm shift beyond what I could have imagined at this far into my career. I think the last thing is resisting rules. I'm not sure whoever told me that or if I just sort of, that's just innate built into me, but I really try to resist rules whenever I can. Anytime I see a rule, I, I don't attach to it. I try to reject it. And that's been very helpful as a clinician. Okay, wonderful. Is there any other um, information you would like to share that we haven't touched on yet? I'm really liking this idea of treating acute pain using these more chronic pain style strategies. We're all focused on treating chronic pain because it's such an epidemic. But bringing those clinical strategies down to the acute pain world and into the world of, of athletics has been really fascinating because I, I do, I work with a lot of athletes. I might get an Olympic level athlete in my office and then the next client I have is like an anxious mom that has stress headaches. And the next client is like a 13 year old gymnast that has foot pain. So my clientele is really varied, but most of it is acute pain. Most of it is acute or subacute pain. And I think that when you see that people are getting better after one or two sessions, when you see that because they're coming in and learning something new and getting a little bit of manual therapy and because their fear and their catastrophization has come down, they feel better so fast and they get back to their sport so quickly. It's just remarkable. I always thought that manipulation and trigger point needling were powerful modalities. And the more I work with some of these athletes and people in acute pain, the more I realize how much more powerful these ideas are. It's just amazing. I'm assuming you've had some of the same experiences in your, in your practice. But I can think of one collegiate runner who had been dealing with Achilles tendon pain for four months and her trainers and everyone at her school had told her that she had Achilles tendinopathy and she's worried that her, her Achilles tendon will never be the same. And really underneath all that, it was just a lot of anxiety around the fact that she had left high school where she was the best runner in the state. And she went to a college where she was sort of a, all of a sudden in a big pond of really successful athletes and she was intimidated and the more we started talking about what was going on for her underneath her physical pain, the more it became clear that those factors were driving her Achilles tendon to keep hurting. And she was limiting herself, holding herself back as a runner. And so she went back to school with a totally new perspective, talked to her coach, talked to her trainers, and she's had the best season as her sophomore season has been her best season. It's just unbelievable. Well, thanks for this story. Thanks for the... Uh testimony right at the end. So can you just leave, give us some contact information if people want to learn more about you and your system that you're working down there in Boulder, Colorado, online services, etc. My current website is mperformance.com. My last name being Merrill, the letter mperformance.com. 
I'm on Instagram as Charlie Merrill. And I just started a new Instagram account, which is uh, Merrill Method, where I, I hope to sort of port everything over to Merrill Method as I'm starting to talk about the strategies I use in the clinic, both the body-based strategies and some of the other strategies. Whereas in the past, my Charlie Merrill Instagram account has been kind of more body-based. It's holding back on everybody. I also have a YouTube channel, which is Merrill Performance Boulder. And I have a ton of videos on there that help people understand sort of the movement-based challenges that hold them back, how to learn how to move their body in new ways, and some of the things that cause athletes to break down.